All right. Um, difficult conversations. Um, you know, I, how many of you love to have difficult conversations? Well, you're an attorney, so whatever. <laughs> They're hard, right? Because we're stepping into something that, that is, by definition, is difficult. We're going to go into some of, the, um, some of the ways that we know from science and research. And, and um, I'm a psychologist by, by training, um, and we know from a lot of science, like some of the best ways to do this and some of the worst things, worst ways to do it, and as well from the scriptures. And what's always interesting to me is how the Bible always validates the science. And we're going to see a few things about what God says about difficult conversations. But I want to give you a little practice here. Um, I want you to turn to the person that you came with. And if you're sitting next to a stranger, it'll even be more fun. Um, <laughs> And some of you wanted a good pickup line anyway. I know why you come here. <laughs> Turn to the person next to you that you love and you've come with and, say, and look them in the eye and say, I will confront you. <laughs> Just go, say it. <laughs> say it. All right. Now, how hard was that? Right? Not hard at all. Here's why I start with that. Because you will. You will. See, our, I don't know where I heard this first, but it's so true. Our success in life is equal to our ability to confront. Period. Because we're all headed somewhere in everything we do, either in our careers or teams or business deals or in our relationships. And we're going along and we're working towards, towards getting where we want to be, we're greater intimacy and greater deals and greater success. And then, we, and then we hit an obstacle. That's always true. Always. We're going to hit a conflict. Conflicts are just where two needs that aren't the same collide for the same space. So we hit an obstacle. Now, if we're, we're going to get to here, then we have to confront that obstacle, right? So our success is either going to be defined by the obstacle that we've hit and we stop there and we avoid it, and that's where we are. Tori and I, she's going to kill me for this. I shouldn't say that. I should, you should let you speak for yourself. You know, Tori's an amazing, that's my wife down here. She, um, she, she's an amazing cook, chef. I mean, she's really into it. And at our house, we're her biggest fan. Yesterday, um, I, I got back from a few days on the road, and we were talking about dinner, and, and she said, oh, I've already made some stuff. It's marinating. And, and I said, oh, what is it? And, and she described it, and, and she makes this, this lemon kind of something chicken. I just hate it. <laughs> I really just, I just don't like it. And I'd been on the road for four days and I've, you know, I've, I've had two surgeries in the last year and I haven't walked for 22 months besides about to right there. And I'm already getting fatter and fatter because I'm not moving. And I've been starving myself for four days, and I was kind of looking forward to coming home to eat. 
And she says, we're having this chicken. And, and I realized, gosh, she's, she makes that a lot. Because the girls like it, and she likes it, and I don't know. And, you know, I realized my success in eating is going to be equal to my ability to confront. And I, no, seriously, I don't know what made me think of this. I mean, how long have we, we've been married 25 years. I've never told her, I hate that chicken. And I just realized I'm going to eat this for the rest of my life if I don't tell her. And so um, I told her and we went through my outline of how to have this conversation and we're still married. So anyway, this is important stuff. This is important stuff. Or you can avoid it. I'm from the South and... Um, you know, a lot of times they're nice down there, right? So they, they say difficult things this way. Gosh, it's a beautiful dress you've got. Did, didn't they have it in your size? <laughs> a little sideways, right? Anyway, it's going to come out. That's why I had you turn to each other and say, I will confront you. Because the reality is that God has made reality and truth as an aggressive force in the universe. It will come out. It will find its way out. It'll find its way out in sarcasm or biting comments. Or if we have that obstacle and we don't want to lean into it, we will avoid it. And it'll come out in loss of intimacy or aloneness in a relationship or not solving a business problem or not getting the hard feedback we need. So it's going to come out. That's why I wanted you to say, I will confront you. But how we do it is what makes all the difference in the world. Take marriage, for example. Here's what all the marriage research shows, and actually all the business research is the same thing. Every marriage has pretty much the same issues. There's issues over hurt, there's issues over behavior, there's issues over finance, kids, sex, whatever it is. Every marriage has pretty much the same bucket of issues. And here's what all the research shows. The only difference is, or the big difference is, it's not the obstacles and conflicts they have, it's how they handle them, how they get through that obstacle that matters. So we're going to look at a little map um, today as we go through this. And Gare, I did not ask you, what is the end time on the clock? 12. 12. So on Tuesday, is that right? (laughs) 12 Tuesday. All right. Here we go. What is a difficult conversation? What is a difficult conversation? Let me give you a definition that came out of um, years of research at Harvard, and I really like it. I think it speaks to how we feel this. We, we are, or you, or all of us, we're in a difficult conversation when three things are present. Number one, the stakes are high. What we're talking about actually matters. Okay? Stuff that doesn't matter, it doesn't get that difficult. Whatever. Stakes are high. Number two, the emotions are high. We have strong feelings about what we're talking about. We're either hurt or we're tired of it, or we have a deep desire for something to happen. It could be positive in, negative in. It could be I've got deep, deep emotions about looking at somebody I love and how they're wrecking their life. 
and I care about it. And then on the other side, they might not want to hear it. The emotions are high. Stakes are high. Emotions are high. And the third one is this. We have different viewpoints on it. We have conflicting needs. We have different opinions. Some of you have seen this in the last year in COVID. I can't tell you. I do a daily call-in show um, that we started during, during the lockdown. Um, if you go to Instagram or, or Facebook or YouTube, you can see it. It's a, a call-in program. People call in with stuff. I can't tell you how many calls I've gotten over the last year of families that are broken up, have broken up, or can't talk to each other, extended family members, on whether or not you wear a mask or not, whether or not you get a vaccine or not, whether or not you stay indoors or outdoors. High stakes, different Different perspectives, high emotions. And I have other friends that have very different perspectives on those, and it doesn't break them up. So those are the three things that have to be present. So what does it look like? What does it look like to do it well? And what does it look like when it breaks down? We're going to go into the components of that. But think about this. Nobody, let's take marriage or business partners, nobody ever, nobody ever walked down the aisle to get married and said, I can't wait to get up there and marry this person so we can hate each other and break up one day. That's not the goal, right? It doesn't start that way, but it hits these obstacles that aren't negotiated well. I remember one time they asked Rod Stewart, you guys probably are, y'all don't even know who Rod Stewart is, do you? You're too young. You're like into, you know, other music. Anyway, he's been divorced a bunch, I think. And, um, and so, so they asked him if he was, was going to get married again. He said, no, I think I'll just find a woman I hate and give her a house. <laughs> we don't plan it that way, right? But we don't handle it well. So how do we get there? I got called into a situation um, uh, one time. I work mainly with, with, with B, uh, um, CEOs and businesses, and, and it's a really large global um, company. And they were, they were at that moment where they had just been battling, and it was about to be a, a hostile takeover, and it would have been really, really ugly. You would have read about it. It was one of those. And so we decided to, or they decided they got to solve this. They got to find a solution. And the main conflict was between the chairman of the board and the CEO. And so they asked me to facilitate it. And so we went off on, locked ourselves up in a hotel for a weekend to try to work out this conflict. So you got the whole board there. You got the chairman of the board, you got the CEO, and you got the whole board and so we get into it the first morning, Saturday morning, we get into it. And after about probably almost before lunch of the first half, the chairman looks up at the board and says, um, ladies and gentlemen, he closes his folder. He says, I'm done here. I'm done. You guys can have it. I, I, can't, I can't do this anymore. Stands up. I mean, their eyes are like, because this is going to be, this is going to reverberate around the world. 
And their eyes were like, I didn't know what to do. He starts to walk out. He's walking towards the door. I ran in front of him, and I just sat down on the floor in front of the door. And he looked at me. I, I think the reason, I mean, I just think he thought he was with a crazy person. And he looks at me, and I said, I said, will you sit down for a minute? And he's sort of like, you know, when a psychotic is talking to you, you do what they say, right? If, and so he sits down, and we're literally sitting on the floor. And I looked at him, and I said, what's it like for you when he does what he just did? I pointed to the CEO. What does that feel like? What's that like to be on the other end of that? Very powerful leader. He's sitting there on the floor. And his chin starts to quiver a little bit. And he barely got the words out and he says, it feels so bad. I said, like what? Help me understand bad. I feel invisible. Why am I here? I feel like he tries to make me feel stupid. I feel like what I bring doesn't matter. And, he, and all the time, he's kind of fighting back tears. And he's, I said, well, tell me more. And wasn't too long into this, the CEO gets up and walks over and sits down in this little circle. And I turned to him, and he said, may I? And I said, yeah. And he looks at the chairman, and he says, I am so sorry. I would never want to make you feel that way. That's not what I want. I saw that we might have something here. I turned to the board and I said, can you guys leave and go, you know, we'll, we'll text you in a little while. I'd like to talk to these two. <clears throat> Within about an hour, we called the board back in and I said, they have something to share with you. And they stood up and they said, we're fine. We're, we're going to work this out. We got it. Now, what happened in that hour? And what hadn't happened up until that moment that was about to break up a global entity? Basically, and I'm going to unpack a few of the things that happened for a map for us, but basically they just started to do it God's way. You know, God, God had a difficult conversation to lean into. The story of God in the Bible with us is that we went to the altar, right? He created the altar. He made us in relationship with him and it was good. And then there was a breach in that relationship. There was an obstacle to being together forever. There was an obstacle. And what did he do? He didn't avoid it. He didn't just let us all go to hell stay in misery, 
only took about, what, half a chapter before we started murdering each other. He didn't avoid it. And he didn't come at it with anger and judgment. See, I told you so. I'm right and you're wrong. You can go to hell. Or get with the program. That's not what he did. What he did becomes a map for us of having difficult conversations. And as Philippians 2 puts it, it's in that great kenosis passage. I don't know. I I should have written this down. But it's in chapter 2. And it says, in your relationships, he says, have the same mind that was in Christ Jesus. It says, although he was in the form of God, he was... He was God. He did have the right answer. He was right. And he could force his answer if he wanted to. But he said, although he, the only one that had the right to be that way, he existed in the form of God. He did the opposite. He came down. He sat on the floor. And the first thing he did was he met us where we are. Romans 2 says, it is the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. So let's unpack how that gets there because what we also know is in his kindness, he didn't say, oh, no big deal. He didn't blow it off. He didn't avoid the conflict. He didn't avoid the the hard message either. He didn't avoid getting his needs met. He wasn't codependent. How many of you are codependent? So what are the rest of you, just helpful? (laughs) Everybody knows what a codependent is, right? Y'all know that word. Somebody right before they die, somebody else's life flashes before their eyes because they really don't have one because they're enabling everybody else and taking care of everybody else, right? You feel deeply heard right now, don't you? She hit her heart. She goes, oh, finally somebody gets it. God wasn't codependent. He faced into it, but he did it in a way that works. So how do we do it? All right, number one, we're going to a little map here. We got to get ready before we go into it. The worst, the worst Log jams are the ones that are instantaneously flamed. Somebody gets triggered or somebody gets scared. You know, we have fears that get into this stuff. Fears of abandonment, fears of rejection, fears of not getting what we need. A lot of fears get in the way. First thing we got to do is sit down and have a conversation with ourselves before you go into a difficult one. And I want you to think about a few questions as you're going into a difficult conversation. Prepare this way, like Stephen Covey said, begin with the end in mind. What do you want out of this conversation? How about a few suggestions? I want to end the conversation with a good relationship. I want to end up in a good place with you. I want them to feel cared about. I want them to feel understood. I want to be heard. I want to say what I need to say. And lastly, I want to find a way forward. 
Now, if you take those questions before you go in to call whoever you're going to call or whatever topic we're going to go discuss with somebody, if you take those questions and then you ask yourself, and in the conversation, am I, would somebody be able to tell from my behavior that that's what I want? Now think about that list. I want us to be in a good place with each other. I want you to feel cared about. I want you to feel deeply understood. I want to be understood. I want to be heard and say what I need to say. And I want us to find a way forward. Will they be able to tell from my behavior in the conversation, if somebody asks them what do they want, that they could tell that from how I'm behaving? That's what the Bible calls fruit. It wants us to look at our, he wants us to look at our fruits. So we start there. And then the other thing is, we got to bleed off the emotions. I don't want you to deny them. Because some of you have got to have some conversations. You've been deeply hurt. And some of the trauma you've been through or hurt in some of these situations is so painful that it's actually going to get in the way of having the conversation in a way that might get to a good outcome. In the book of Hebrews, God says this, make level paths for your feet so that the limb that has been injured or put out of joint can be healed rather than injured further. Can't tell you how many conversations I've seen people go into and there's hurt and they go into the conversation and try to resolve the hurt and so much more hurt gets created from the conversation than was even brought into it. And so I want you to go into it strong. And sometimes that means getting the log out of our own eye first and saying, what have I contributed here? Can't tell you how many situations I've seen diffused and somebody starts with, you know, before we talk about this, I just got to tell you, when I look back how I've reacted to you and around this topic and how I've kind of only cared about myself and how I've done this, before we even start, I just want to apologize for that. So let's figure out how, what have we contributed to making this difficult? That's what Jesus says do first. Get the log out of our own eye. But also to get healed first. So let's go bleed off the emotion somewhere. You know, we need to, to go in there kind of having our higher brain working than our pain brain. And then let's start with affirming the person and the relationship and the way we want it to end. We've already made a plan. Let's let them know about that. I'm so glad we're getting to talk because you're so important to me. And I just want, to get, want us to get through this obstacle so we can be in a better place. That's what I want. I've never, I don't think I've ever said this to you. I remember a couple of times when Tori and I hit one of those hard spots. You know, you're both hurt or whatever. and It's kind of one of those moments. And I remember you saying, in one of the most painful moments of it, 
He looked at me and said, we both want the same thing. It's like it took it away. Thanks. She's going. (laughs) But when you know from the beginning, you know, we want the same thing here. Now we're on the same side of the issue, looking at the issue. We're together. So let's start there. And then the, the, the next thing, you know, let's stop telling ourselves a story about what they're going to say. I mean, how many times do we do that? Well, I know what you're going to say, but no, you don't. <laughs> we don't know what they're going to say. It might surprise us. It really might surprise us if we say it in a way we've never said it before. It's like the guy who had the flat tire, you know, driving down the road at night and the country has a flat tire and he goes and opens up his, his trunk to get his jack and he realizes he doesn't have his jack to, to fix the tire. And he goes, oh no, what am I going to do? He looks up, there's a farmhouse up there and lights on. He said, I'm going to go ask the guy if I can borrow his jack or her jack and and he starts walking and says, I'm such an idiot. I can't believe it. And he's going to think I'm, the guy's going to think I'm stupid. He's not even, you know, he, he's just going to rail on me for waking him up. And so now, well, I don't even like that guy. He, he, he's, what has what he never had a flat? And already we're in this like, and he gets up and, and he rings the doorbell and the farmer comes to the door and he looks at him and he goes, just keep your damn jack. <laughs> See, a lot of times we've already had the conversation before we even get there. We haven't allowed somebody to be known. And then we have to do the next thing. And this is where we get into the science of it. We have to create a space that's safe for somebody's real meaning to come out, for their real heart to come out, for who they are to a safe no-fly zone. Because usually somebody will share something and we're instantly, well, that's not true. Or, no, that, and there's an instant negation. Let me give you three verses. You know, it's almost like the person that wrote the Bible understood neuroscience. It's unbelievable. Everything we know from hooking people's brains up in conflict is that when they feel understood, the lizard brain calms down, the fight or flight, the stress hormones, the reactivity, the defensiveness, the stonewalling, all of that stuff starts to go to sleep and the higher parts of the prefrontal cortex get engaged. Cortisol goes down, goal-oriented neurotransmitters increase when somebody feels understood and listened to first. James 1 says this, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Isn't that funny? Quick. We think of quick as action. Think of listening as waiting till I get to be quick. (laughs) Tell you why you're wrong. Be quick to listen. See it as an activity. Come down from heaven to earth. That's quick to listen. See, that's what God did. He came down to where we are. 
That's where he started. And listen to what it says after that. Everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That is like all the, all the research, all in one sentence. If we start there. Proverbs 25 says that, 20 verse 5, Proverbs chapter 20 verse 5 says, the purposes of a person's heart are deep waters and the one who has insight draws them out. See, we don't answer quickly and shut some die down. We want to know. We got to get to the root of the problem. Listening does that. And Proverbs 18, 13 says, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is a folly and a shame. Not only does it, does it not work, we look like an idiot. It says fools are quick to give their annoyance. Quickly. I was working on a, a project one time, a merger of a healthcare company. They asked me to consult on I might have shared this story with y'all a long time ago. We were talking about connection. But the, the new CEO was talking to the new leadership, and, and it was that first meeting. The two companies were together, and he shared the vision. It was electric in the room. I mean, it was electric. I wanted to go work for him. It was so brilliant. And everybody's excited. And then he takes questions. A woman raises her hand and says, yeah, I lead about 3,000 people, and we've been working on this product that the other company has the same product. And I've moved people across the country. I've uprooted careers. We spent all of our money and resources and time for three years. And my people are just scared to death about what's going to happen to them. And he says, well, it's not going to be a problem because, and he gave her a bunch of reasons why it wasn't going to be a problem. She nods, but you could feel the energy leave the room a little bit. Guy over here raised his hand and says, yeah, I'm head of sales and our, our sales force is always called on hospitals and doctors and clinics and the new model is much more third-party payer and institutions and how are you going to morph, what were your thoughts about time frames and morphing for the sales, sales army over to this new strategy? He says, well, it's not going to be a problem because this stuff's going to sell itself. You know, it's so, and he kind of explained to him reality. Walked out, we walked out and, and I'm I'm just, I could feel it in the room. And we walked out and he says, we got in the hallway and he says, wasn't that fantastic? I said, no. It might be the worst thing I ever sat through. He said, what? I said, it's terrible. He said, what are you talking about? I said, you completely lost them. You completely did not connect with where they were at all. He looks at me and he goes, that's not true. I said, yes, it is. Every time they tried to tell you something, you instantly negated where they were coming from and told them why it wasn't true. You instantly negated it. He said, no, I didn't. I said, shut up. You're doing it to me right now. When we first start with empathy and understanding where somebody is coming from, what their experience is, it creates a space. Neurologically, we can measure this. It creates a space for everything in them to make more space to join in and solve the problem. 
I was talking about this one day with a leadership audience, and a guy walked up to me afterwards and says, I'm the head of hostage negotiation for the FBI. He's the guy that walks into banks with the guy that's got the bomb strapped to him and 20 hostages. He says, everything you talked about is our entire training program. See, they don't walk in and say, dude, this is a bad idea. You don't want to blow up a bank. They walk in and say, so what, tell me, you know, I'm Bobby. What, what's your name? They, they sent me in here to talk to you. What, how do we get here today? What, what's going on? And his proverb says, draw it out. So what's going to happen is we're going to start to understand the problem. I remember one night our, our youngest daughter, Lucy, who, by the way, please go to Lucy Cloud Music. I got to give Lucy a plug. She's got her... She just, her last song she just put out, she's just started, just started putting her music out, and she's got over a million streams on her last song. It's called um, Crash and Learn. And um, she, see, Luce, I'm, I, I, she's not going to watch this. She'll never even know I told you this. <laughs> anyway, ch- check her out. Um, she's, she's great. Why was I? Oh, but when she was, she's 19 now. When she was about seven, she's struggling with her math and it's not going well. And I'm trying to make her, see, I think she needs, she's lazy, right? That's what I thought. And she's kind of, she'd rather sing than do math. She's kind of putting it off. And so one night I go, Lucy, we're doing your math homework. We got to get this right. And I'm, you know, I wrote this book called Boundaries, where I'm going to have some here. And, and she's kind of tired. No, I, I want to go to bed. No, Lucy, Lucy, I've got all night. Do it. And she starts kind of doing this. No, I'm tired. I want to, and then she's crying. And we're in this kind of, you know, and I'm pushing her. And I said, Lucy, I have all night. Okay? If you want to go to bed, then I'd get to work if I were you. I got all night. And we're in this thing. I said, now do it. Start working the problem. So she starts to work. And I notice every now and then she did this little flinch. And I said, keep working. And she, she did this little flinch. And then she'd write something down. And, then, and I noticed something. Every time she flinched and just wrote something down real quickly. And just every time she flinched, it had to do with a six. I said, Lucy, what's six times four? She didn't know. I said, what's seven times five? 35. What's four times eight? 32. What's six times five? Uh, I said, Lucy, I'm sorry. Let's not do this. Let's go watch The Born Ultimatum or something we do together. I said, we're going to do something different tomorrow. We're going to play a game. She goes, okay. We played a game. We got some flashcards and learned her sixes. See, sometimes we don't know what's underneath somebody's jam. There might be a need. There may be some hurt. So we're going to start with listening. And we're going to start with getting ready. Then we're going to go to listening. And then the next thing is, I'm going to give you a formula here. There's three components in this next step. Make sure you have heard the content, the feelings, and the consequences of the other person's position. 
in this shared space, this no-fly zone of meaning that you've made a space where it can all come out, where we have the content, the feelings, and the consequences, and make sure that you tell them that. So what I hear you saying is, when I do this, it's really depressing to you and frustrating, and you end up being behind on everything else you got to do. So you want to see that moment where they go, or starting leaning in. Yeah, you get it. But to get it, all three are important. The content. Did I hear you in what it is that you need or what you want or what I'm doing? A, B, did I hear you in how it like feels to you to be on the other end of that? You're just sitting there longing for this to happen or you're sitting there with some pain I'm creating. And am I understanding how that affects your life. See, when people know that we know what the issue is, how it feels to us, and how it affects us, now we're starting to get somewhere. But don't be codependent. This is a shared meaning space. And we can say, so here's what's going on for me. When this happens, or I don't get this, or you do that, or whatever, I I start to feel whatever it is, and then I end, up, I end up feeling further away from you or I end up discouraged. See, we want to be able to say our three too, but notice what I didn't do. I wasn't accusing and blaming and attacking in that sentence. I'm saying this is the issue. Here's where it leaves me feeling, and here's where it leaves me in life in our relationship. We get those three components A lot has happened. A lot's happened. Because now we got something to work with. So when they tell me what they feel, what I do, and what they feel, and how it affects them, immediately find something in there that you can be an advocate for. Remember my CEO, or the, what he did? He came over to the chairman, and what's the first thing he did? He, he became an advocate for, gosh, I don't want you to feel that way. I don't want to affect you that way. See, there's something in what they shared. If we understand the content, the feelings, and the consequences, there's something in what they've shared that we can be for, and we start and we join that. I don't want you to feel that way. I remember I was, I was working with two departments battling. We got to have the management meeting at 10 o'clock on Wednesday. No, it's got to be on Thursday. No, it's got to be on Wednesday. And they're, they're, they're jamming up, you know, in this tug of war. Well, until they started listening, they don't know what the tug of war is really about. Because we get stuck on positions and we argue about our position and our solution and our, our, our what we want. This has to happen But what we are really arguing about is not our position, but our interests. The need that's driving that. And so I got them listening to one another. Well, what happens if you have it on Wednesday? Well, then it screws up our whole sequence of planning and being able to know when on a critical path of getting the project done that week, it, you know, we need to know when to release our resources and it's got to be... So what you're really saying is you need to be 
have some control over the decision so you can plan a lot of things in the critical path. You need to be in control of this. Exactly. We can't just have it dropped on us. Okay, well, let's figure out how you can be the one that leads the decision, and then we can see if that works for the other side. Boom, problem solved. It's not about the dollars you're going to spend in your budget. It's about the needs that it meets for each one of the spouses or the kid or the boss. So find something you can advocate for and then go to this next step. This is, I can't tell you how huge this is. When you hear, okay, so what I'm hearing, what's really important to you is this. What's really important to me is this. Tell me how you think we can make that happen. Tell me how you think we can make that happen. And then they sit back and, well, I think, well, there's a good step. (laughs) I think. See, what have you done? In the middle of a conflict, you've engaged the part of them that can solve a problem. And they're starting to think instead of defend or whatever it is that's emotional and reactive and pain. See, when you say, help, let's figure out a way. How could we get there? What's a way we could do this? Now you have engaged them to be your partner, your ally against what? Against the problem. So now we're on the same side of the table and the problem is on the other side and we're together looking at this log jam with conflicting needs. And we're gonna work together. What did God say? Come, let us reason together. That's what God said. There's a log jam. And when we can engage each other as allies, because we both want the same thing, we have different perspectives on how to get there. But let's solve this problem. Now, not only have we further helped both of our brain functionings, but we become allies. And then the last thing is this. Have I said it all? (laughs) It's easy to fudge on what some friends of mine call the last 10%. You know, a lot of times we ask for feedback and, um, oh, yeah, it's good. Oh, yeah, give me the last 10%. Well, it sucked, you know. (laughs) Now, a lot of times it's just hard for us to come out with the stuff that we might fear saying, fear we're going to hurt somebody's feelings or whatever. When you ask, I want to make sure you've said it all. Is there anything left? Give me the last 10%. And then we have to step in and say the last 10%. Unless we don't. And this time, not out of fear, but out of strategy. You will, get, you will be in some conversations in your life 
that if you follow the formula that I just gave you, it will be diagnostic. It'll be like a lab test. You have just determined if you have the snowball's chance in hell of getting to a good outcome. You may be talking to what Proverbs refers to as a fool, a mocker, somebody doesn't want to get to an answer, or even somebody that's evil and wants to destroy you. But you won't know until we've done everything possible to bring out the higher transcendent mission, alliances, character, care, love, when we've done everything. See, that's what God did. God didn't withdraw from the conversation until he doesn't withdraw his spirit until he knows that it won't do any good to talk. And one day he will. He'll turn out the lights. I've done everything I could. So I want you to say the last 10% unless you realize, you know what? And it's going to sound something like this. I really want to resolve this. I don't think we're going to get there today. I don't think we're really hearing each other. I don't think we're making progress. So let's take the next step, which Matthew 18 says. If you go to them and you talk and it doesn't work, the next step is to stop talking and bring in a third party that can help you. So, you're going to run into obstacles. It's part of life. I pray to God I have conflicts tomorrow. Because if I don't, I'm dead. (laughs) Right? We're going to wake up one day and not have any problems. Except maybe waking up and God and us reviewing this thing called life and seeing how I didn't confront my problems. So let's wake up to some problems tomorrow and with his grace and his truth and doing it the way he did it. Let's go have some difficult conversations in a redemptive way where we can get to the promised land of whatever it is we're trying to find. God bless.